HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, January 26, 2022. This is our 313th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a wonderful New York City-based restaurant consultant with over 35 years of experience, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to focus on training. Yes, proper training is important for any business. It can not only enhance employees' knowledge and skills, but it can boost confidence, improve in performance, and lead to better productivity. So support your team by giving them the training and tools that they need to do their job best. It's worth the investment for the long run. That's my tip today. Now, I'm so happy to have my guest joining me. It is Beatrice Stein. She's the founder and CEO of Beatrice Stein Hospitality Consulting and the founder and program director of Hospitality Pathways, training the next generation of hospitality professionals. A New York City-based restaurant consultant and strategist with decades of training and development experience, Beatrice's mission has been to deliver high-quality training programs that empower clients to reach the highest levels of hospitality and productivity for their operations. Without further ado, hi Beatrice, welcome to the show. Hi Sherry, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today with you. Well, I'm thrilled to chat with you. Your career, everything I know about it is quite impressive. So I I always like to talk with my guests at the beginning and find out how they got into the industry. So do you want to take us back a little bit to what drew you in? 
Sure. Um, my parents purchased a hot dog stand when I was three years old. I'm from Chicago, Illinois, and they named the hot dog stand Little Bee's Drive-In. And so that I don't think they realized at that time that they sealed my fate in the restaurant industry. So I grew up in uh, in the hot dog stand. And then when I was eight, eight or nine, they bought a coffee shop in a medical building in Evanston, Illinois, across from Northwestern University. And all of my jobs, all my all my growing up years and high school years was working in in the coffee shop. I had to work on Saturday at the counter. I had to run the counter and I always had to clean the pie case, which I still hate the thought of today, <laughs> all these years later. But uh, yeah, I grew up in the industry and it's um, it's just been who I am since since I was a child. So that's my, that's my parents, start. Yeah. Did your parents encourage you to stick with the hospitality industry or, or discourage you? My father wanted me to work for the airlines because he wanted to be able to fly for free. Okay. <laughs> um, I really had the passion. I, my passion when I was younger was that I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be a dancer on Broadway. And so my mother was very supportive of my dancing career. Um, I moved to New York in 1980. Uh, thinking that I was going to be, you know, the next Gwen Verdon or Cheetah Rivera or, you know, who, you know, whatever, whoever the star was at the time. And uh, I was a, I was a waitress on Broadway. Uh, that's what we called ourselves back then, waitresses, not servers. And uh, that's, that's, that's how I moved to New York. That's how my, you know, sort of restaurant career just kind of remained. I realized I wasn't a dancer I wasn't Broadway material. And, you know, the reality was I was working in restaurants. So why not stay in those? Well, I don't know. Now I want to see you dance. <laughs> I'm, I'm still pretty good at shaking my booty. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I danced in high school. I wouldn't say I had dreams of, of Broadway for it, but I, mm -hmm. I love dancing. And it's, um, yes. that's, I mean, it brought you here. So um, that's, that says a lot. And 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 I get the uh, the 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 working in restaurants to to uh, make men ends meet, and um, obviously you had the experience and and no no know how about it. So yeah, what what then led you to launch your hospitality consulting company? So I I worked for many years uh, in hourly positions and really uh, did not want to reluctantly went into management. And when I was an hourly employee, I was always the person training people. They're like, give the trainee to be because she does such a great job in training them. She's so thorough and she follows all the procedures, you know, kind of by the book. And so um, when I moved into management, I naturally started creating training programs and started creating side work and uh, SOPs, you know, standard operating procedures. It just kind of comes naturally to me. So I started doing that and it moved, you know, from being restaurant management into training and development positions. And then I really got burnt out at working in for other people. And I'm anybody who knows me will tell you that I'm extremely independent and opinionated. So consulting was kind of the the great next step into into the into using my my hospitality knowledge and expanding my career. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you, you formed your company. Did you have, has it been, 
have you been solo or do you have a team? And talk a little about the different services you provide. Sure. Um, it is just me. Uh, I have uh, occasionally uh, hired other people to help on specific projects, but mostly it's been just me. My, my, what I call my sweet spot is training. And that's really where I shine, creating training programs, training materials, uh, seminars, anything to do with, you know, sort of education and in, in, in encouraging education, knowledge, um, anything like that, and, and really being creative in that way with the different um, people that I work for and, and different clients. While doing training, and I worked a lot with very independent restaurants, small independent restaurants, I would see their handbooks and I would see their employee files. And I became very sort of HR consulting in that way, where it was like, you're not compliant on this. You need to be compliant on that. You need to updo this. Your employee files are not, you know, complete, whatever it may be. And I started really guiding clients in that way and helping them, you know, what are the proper postings? How, what, what should be in your employee file? Working with them and their, and their labor attorney on, a, on updating in a handbook and their policies and procedures related to tip pools and whatnot and sort of helping them become more compliant. So I did a lot of that, uh, obviously, uh, pre-COVID. Um, I also did a lot of openings because I'm, I'm that organized kind of person that and drives the team to... Um, to getting to the opening. So I became a little bit known for doing that as really getting people uh, to, uh, as um, Mr. Parsons, Dick Parsons once said, you are the person who puts the flag in the sand and, and drive everybody to it. And I'm like, yep, that's me. So those are the types of things that I have done over my consulting career, but m mostly training, training and development, and then that HR kind of aspect um, it's been really the kind of the sweet spot of my of my consulting. Yeah, what are some, what are some of the the restaurant openings you've worked on that I don't know if you're you're most proud of or or that you you had the best experience? Or... Right, right. Well, I'm proud of all of them because they all got open. So that's right. That's that's, that's one thing to be proud of. But I think. Opening Important. the Cecil, yeah, exactly. <laughs> opening the totally. Um, opening the Cecil and Mintons in Harlem was probably my proudest opening. It was an amazing team of people. Um, Richard Parsons was uh, the main investor. Alexander Smalls and Chef JJ Johnson. We all worked together and just created these beautiful restaurants. It was um, new to Harlem, new to um, the different types of cuisine and uh, decor and service. Everything was just uh, really kind of different for Harlem at that time. And so proud of the team of people that we put together and that that did those openings. And they were challenging openings because Cecil is one concept with its own kitchen and design and everything. And 30 days after Cecil opened, we opened Minton's, which is a totally different concept, totally different menu with then live music. So uh, definitely a lot of hard work. Uh, I think I lost my mind a little bit, a little bit crazy opening two concepts 30 days apart, uh, under the same roof though. So at least I didn't have to travel far. 
Right. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm familiar. I've, I've been and I had amazing experiences there and I'm, yeah. I'm friends with JJ and he's, he's awesome. And I've met he's Alexander awesome. Smalls and it's a, it's amazing, awesome. uh, amazing people to be working with. Yes. So, great, but that is, team. that is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very, very proud of those, those openings and the success, the successes of those two restaurants when we, when we opened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you should be. <laughs> Me too. Thank you. So, so I put in my tip about what training being uh, my PR tip of training being important. But why? Why do you, in as as the expert here, why why would you say training is important for for restaurants and and what's like what's the biggest conception misconception? So I think people in in the if you think if you think of it this way chefs create a recipe and that recipe is is how that dish should be made what ingredients all the steps to it and how it should be made so there's a consistent product that goes out to the guest if you think about training and steps of service though that's the recipe in order for consistency for your guests now yes we have to be able to adjust to different guests um, expectations and needs and and be able to adjust to that but without those steps of service and those training guidelines, it, it becomes sort of messy and, and not and inconsistent. And so I think training is extremely important in the front of the house because it gives your guests, the, it gives your staff the knowledge of what, you, how you want your guests to feel, how you want your guest experience to happen. And, and then once you have that structure of that training, you can easily adjust it to the guest needs and expectations and, and whatever's there. I think, you know, a lot of people, if you, if you, if you think about this in the front of the house, how they train people is, you know, you're a new hire, you come in and they say, okay, you know, B, you're going to go follow Debbie over there and Debbie's going to show you the ropes. Okay. That's day one. And day two, you come in and you follow John and day three, you come in and you follow Jose and whatnot and whatever each of those people give you, they give you and that's it. At the end of those three or five days or whatever it is of training, you come out with whatever those people have told you. And a lot of times they told you, oh, well, they tell us to do it like this, but we really do it this way because when we get busy, we don't have time to do that. And so then you have this watered down version of what it is with no standards that were given to you and said, this is how we want our guests to feel. These are the these are the steps that we want you to go through so our guests have this type of experience. And so training is super important into that guest experience. And so I, I think it's really important and a lot of people kind of just wing it. Say, oh you're a good server. You let the new trainee follow you. Yeah. It makes me think I, I have a lot of restaurant experience waiting tables. I mean not not recently, but back mm-hmm. back in the day, and uh, I had a summer job once at Chili's in Miami, mm-hmm. and I remember going in, and we had three days of training. I I just I have this vision of getting presented with this huge book of protocol, and being anxious to get on the floor, and and not you know, but, re- but I always think of that as as you know as a large chain and just having their protocol down and the training that had to go into that before I could work and be a server I had to, I had to go through that and I think it I think it is extremely important but for some reason whenever I think about my experiences it's that's jo- that job is the one that stands out 
Right, because you were given all of this, all of this structure, maybe a little bit too much if it was that big of a book, but sometimes yeah. it's overkill. But, but <laughs> I think what they were trying to do, again, was, and, and, and uh, chain restaurants are quite famous for this. They have big, huge, you know, volumes of, of, of things that you have to learn and, and know. And it's, it's very rote, and they don't want you to really deviate from it. I think really good training is giving you sort of the parameters that, you know, we, we want this, the guest experience to be like this, and you can work within that in order with your own style or what you feel is needed for the guest in that way. So I think there's a sort of an in-between between that big, massive book and like just throwing you with another server. <laughs> yes. And this is, this is, this is decades ago. So yes. now, believe me, I'm sure they still have those. They, they might be online now, but they're still a big, big volume. <laughs> yeah. Not to date myself or anything, but yeah. No, no, I, I get it. I get it. So, so let's talk about hospital, hospitality pathways, which you created in 2013. What inspired you to, to create this, and and what's the concept? If you want to take us through a little bit about it, sure, sure. So uh, we actually go back to Cecil and Mintons when we when we started to do hiring for Cecil and Mintons. Our commitment was to hire from the community. We really wanted to hire from Harlem, and it be a Harlem restaurant, Harlem staff. Just really support the community in that way. And as we began to interview, we realized there was an incredible amount of desire, but not a lot of talent and knowledge. And I had just come from training and development, you know, being a director of training and development for a large restaurant group, a la carte. And so I had all these, you know, training programs ready, you know, ready to go. I, I was, I was prepared. And so I said, no worries. We'll, we'll add training dollars. We'll add training time. We'll hire for personality and we'll train. We'll just up the training. And it was a huge success. And the people that we gave opportunities to were so grateful. And sh once they, once you invested time and energy in them, you saw them really shine. And when I left there, I thought, this is an opportunity. The restaurant industry is desperate for staff. And this is well before COVID, desperate for staff and, and kind of new blood. And these people are never looked at. They're never never given an opportunity. And if you think about it, how we look for jobs nowadays is online. So you either upload your resume or you fill out an application online. And, and the algorithm searches for words that the owner of the restaurant or HR has put in there that they're looking for so that your then resume or application will then get seen. If your resume or application does not have those words in it, you are never seen. Your your application is never seen. And so what happens is, you know, the people who don't have the experience are not getting looked at and they have a huge desire. And and like I said, if you invest in them, they really, they really shine. And so I left there and I thought, this is what I want to do. And so I went to some people that I knew in Harlem at Columbia University and Harlem Community Development Corp. And I said, this is what I want to do. And can you give me a grant? And I partnered with Andrew Ridgey and the Hospitality Alliance. And they helped me get a grant because I wasn't a nonprofit at that time. And we did a beta group to huge success. We started with 12. We ended with 12. Immediately after they graduated, six people got jobs at like Carmine's, Union Square Hospitality, 
French roast, really great position. Some people dropped off after class, but that's, that's normal drop off. We didn't have drop off during class. And then, and then, you know, they went on to, to great, you know, different careers or different pathways or whatever it may be, but was so proud of that. And I wanted to continue that. And I, everyone, I got advice that, you know, listen, you have a, you're a subject matter expert with a great program. You're not a nonprofit, you know, so try to find other nonprofits that will hire you to do your program for, for their, you know, for their populations. And I tried that for a few years and then finally it it didn't work as well as I wanted it to. And it wasn't really taking off in that way. And so I I finally, at the end of 2019, decided I'm going to go for 501c3 status and do this, do this on my own. You know, I've been consulting on my own. I can do this on my own. I'm going to like, you know, just independent woman, just go for it. And so I um, applied for 501c, started applying for 501c3 at the beginning of of 2020. We all know what happened in March of 2020 and spent all of 2020 into early 2021 getting 501c3 status. And so now we are a nonprofit organization, which we're extremely proud of, have three wonderful board members that uh, support uh, the program. And we're getting ready now in hopefully in March to do our first cohort. We were supposed to start our first cohort next week. But because of the high COVID numbers, we thought we'd wait until closer to spring when the numbers would drop and it would be better because all the training is in person. So the training itself, and I'm talking a lot, so, you know, just interrupt me here because this is my favorite subject right now. No, it's wonderful. <laughs> keep going and, and amazing. Yeah, Thank but you. keep going. <laughs> so the program is, um, it's four weeks, uh, about 80 hours total of training. And the students, there's 10 to 12 students per cycle. We provide them with a stipend because we want them to be able to be able to come to class and we don't want them to be challenged and worried about money. So we provide them with a small stipend. We provide them with a weekly Metro card. We provide them with a uniform because we want them to understand what it feels like every day to wear a uniform to work because when they get jobs, they will then need to get used to that stretch that muscle as it be. Um, And we provide them with a meal every day because we're not sure if they have uh, food insecurity issues or not. And uh, we look at host restaurants to to host the cohort, the four-week cohort. So that restaurant is either closed during the day or has a private dining room or a closed-off section that they give to us. So the students are actually learning in a restaurant. They know how to go to the dish pit. They know how to move around a restaurant, set up the tables, fill salt and pepper shakers, all of that. They're, they're carrying a tray. They're really practicing hands-on in a restaurant, which helps them to learn those skills. We train them as host, runner, busser, and server. We kind of know they're not going to get a server position off the bat because they don't have the knowledge or the confidence yet, but we train them up to that position because we believe once they get in those entry-level positions of host, runner, and busser, that they can move up so much quicker into that server position because they've been trained for that position. They're also more of an asset on the floor because they've been trained in those four positions, especially now with people calling out and and every restaurant really taxed on, on bodies on the floor, that someone who's been trained in four positions is quite a valuable employee that can move, you know, in, into different spots. So we, we train them in those Uh, four positions in the hard skills. And then we really focus a lot, a lot, a lot on soft skills. We want them to be successful in the, in the restaurant environment. 
So we prepare them with um, professionalism and body posture and facial expressions, especially with masks on and things like that. We talk about communication, teamwork, conflict resolution with their coworkers, with their with guests. Um, we help them with their resumes and interviewing skills and communication skills in that way. And then we, at the end of the program, after graduation, we help uh, place them and we try to place them based on the skills where they shine. So example, we had one, um, one student, she was so lovely and she was great as a host, but as a server, when she was doing her practice rounds as a server, if somebody asked her a question that she didn't know, she'd burst into tears. So we were like, okay, so you're going to start as a host. (laughs) That's the best place for you to start because you're comfortable there and you're lovely and you just smile and, you know, do your, do your charming thing and you'll be great. And then when you build up your confidence, then maybe you'll be able to move into bus or runner or, or server, but let's start you as a host. So we try to place them based on where they, we think they'll be most successful type of restaurant environment where they'd be most successful and also the position that they will shine in when they get in. So that's the, that's the rundown of the program. I hope I covered everything there. It's a lot, but it, it's, um, it's very exciting, very exciting for us to, to get started finally. Yeah, it is. And congratulations to you and for going for it and starting a 501c3 and, and shout out to to Andrew Ridgey as well for for supporting, yes, being supportive at the beginning. I mean, he's 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 amazing, and he is amazing. Uh, and what you've what you've created, and that you're so passionate about it, and you're helping so many people. I mean, it's 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 really wonderful. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So, and I know when I was on your website, and I know you have some stories of success on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's. Uh, it's yeah, I, I think it's 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 terrific. And I, I would I mean, with as with COVID and and this time, as you mm-hmm. as you noted, it's like people are in need of staff. And so I fact I think cross training in different positions makes a lot of sense that people can fill different different roles. Yeah, we we feel like it's a good it gives them a good understanding of the whole floor because oftentimes you you know you start as a busser or something and that's the only role you learn or know, and and when you know other positions you can you can be so much more helpful to the to the team on the floor, so we we really wanted to to yeah give them the, that whole overview of the of the floor position. Yeah, it's it's smart. Thank you. So let me ask you my question from my last guest on episode 312. I had on Claudine Pepin, the co-founder and president of the Jacques Pepin Foundation, and Mm -hmm. Raleigh Wieson, the co-founder and executive director of the Jacques Pepin Foundation. And they are a wife and husband team. I guess you would say a power duo. Power duo. So... Their question is, as you look forward into the future, how is service going to change over the next few years? And Raleigh noted that he thinks it's an interesting time for food service and restaurants and that the demand and supply for great service is not going to change, but the service model is. So, And they're wondering, is there going to be more use of technology to automate service so there's less interaction? Uh, Yes, great question. Thank you. I think that COVID, I think we all know that COVID changed um, 
technology and service. It pushed technology forward at a much quicker rate than we expected. The QR codes um, became the norm over a menu. And I think that a huge, huge change to service. And I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to in the industry that are operating restaurants and are like, we are so short staffed that we have decided to use QR codes for like breakfast and lunch service because we just don't have enough people. And the guests can then place their own order, pay on, you know, on the app or, or whatever it is. And, and that reduces, you know, they could have bigger sections. They could have less staff on. They just need runners and bussers to kind of clear and bring and take and whatnot. And so I think that services, that model of services changed for a certain type of restaurant and certain level of restaurant. But I think people love service. They love dining out and being taken care of and being coddled and being given that experience, that hospitality experience. And I, I don't think that that's going to totally go away. I think there's a certain level of restaurant and, and um, you know, casual, fast casual, you know, all of that, that we'll use the QR codes and we'll use reduced service. And, and that's okay because it's a quick and, and dining experience. And people, when they go, they know that's what they expect. But I think there's another level of restaurant and, and diner that really, really wants the, the interaction and the service. And I don't think we're going to lose that. I think it might, um, you know, the masks make it uh, a little bit more difficult to communicate. So we communicate a little bit less right now. But when that mask mandate goes away, eventually, hopefully, cross fingers here, that um, that interaction, that sort of guest interaction again, and that sort of uh, helpful way that the hospitality really makes that experience, I think will will come back. Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely think. Um... Yeah, there's there's a need for the, all the technology, but I feel, uh, yeah, people do. I do die now because you want that that social interaction and customer service, and all. So we'll Absolutely. see. Absolutely, yeah. We'll I, see. I, I don't think we'll lose it. I I think we'll have a new generation of people entering the the hospitality industry. Even though we've lost a lot of people that have left the industry, but I think we'll have a new generation, and and it'll be different. Yes, I agree. And on that note, let's take a little break and we will come back. We'll play my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience this week and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. 
Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Beatrice Stein. She's the founder and CEO of Beatrice Stein Hospitality Consulting and the founder and director of Hospitality Pathways. So Beatrice, it's time for my speed round game. What this is, is I'm going to name a few things or a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Definitely eat out at a restaurant. I have, I meant to say this earlier, but we definitely have a lot in common. (laughs) (laughs) We should go out to eat next. (laughs) We should. We should. Okay. Um, Indoor dining or al fresco dining? I love al fresco dining. And I've gotten, and I've actually gotten used to al fresco dining with heaters. So depending on the temperature, but um, I, I never thought that I would enjoy it, but I actually do. Yes. I, I'm with you. I the only I still ha- sometimes have an issue with my toes getting too cold, but beyond that, <laughs> it's it's an experience. It's yes, so. yes, definitely an experience. Okay, how about wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Well, champagne is always fabulous, but I like to start with a cocktail, especially if the restaurant has an interesting cocktail. Um, list. And then I usually switch to white wine or sparkling champagne. Cool. Tasting menu or a la carte? I prefer a la carte. Um, I, I, I do like a tasting menu, but I have found as I get older that I get too tired. It takes too long and I get too tired and I get too drunk. And then by the last couple of you know, courses or whatever, I'm too full and I don't get to really enjoy it so much. So I think a la carte's probably better for me, but you know, if it's okay. a good, if it's a shorter tasting yes. menu, I can do it. How about small plates or large plates? Small, I love to share. <laughs> Communal table or chef's counter? That's a tough one because um, I do love the chef's counter and kind of watching them make everything. I think if I'm dining alone, I like the chef's counter because it, you can still interact with people, but this also sort of entertainment. Where community table is fun when you're with other people and you can, you know, chit chat. Yeah, like it. Okay, tipping or all inclusive charge? Tipping. We are a tipping culture. All inclusive is really hard for us to understand and to accept. And we are a tipping culture. And so it's it's tipping. Yes. How about training online or training in person? Uh, training in person is always, always best. I think it gets the point across and you can do role plays and interaction. And I think, you know, facial expression and all of that. So I think training in person is best, but there are, there are quite a few wonderful things about online training that could supplement sort of in person. Got it. Okay. Hot dogs or hamburgers? Oh, hot dogs for sure. I'm a Vienna girl from Chicago, you know? Yes. Uh, another, I'll have to, I, I lived in Chicago before New York, so we'll have to talk about that too sometime. Okay, for sure. Over cocktails. Over cocktails and, maybe, and hot dogs. And hot dogs. Perfect. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, last two are cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. I love sugar. <laughs> and then I have Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Chicago. Oh, well, Chicago's my hometown and I love it, but really I'm, I've lived here so long. Manhattan is it. I love, I love Manhattan. Fabulous. Well, that's the game. Good to, good to, good to hear your, what you like. Um, It's always interesting. It's always fun. So for industry news, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times. It's entitled, New York Restaurant Won't Face City scrutiny for admitting Sarah Palin. Elio's let the former Alaska governor eat indoors despite the city rule that it asked for proof she was vaccinated. She wasn't. This is by Priya Krishna. So I was, I don't know. I didn't, not, not the biggest restaurant news week. This seemed to make a lot of headlines, uh, not just in the New York Times, it was on Eater. I saw it lots of places. Yeah. So um, this is, you know, former Alaska Governor Sarah, Sarah Palin. She was at Elio's on Saturday night and it's publicly known she's um, uh, not vaccinated and it broke the rules for, you know, New York City dining where you have to approve the vaccine. So mm-hmm. this article said that the um, uh, because the incident dis- was disclosed by a tweet, not by a city inspector, the city is not investigating further and they're not going to be fined. Um, but um, and then the other point, I guess, that came from this or that uh, Sarah Palin actually tested positive on Monday for COVID. So yeah. I don't know. What's your what's your take on this? So uh, first take is, is that, you know, I understand the the city's mandate and and I respect it and I agree with it. The thing is, is that at the restaurant, at the host, the people at the host desk are young, usually young and experienced. And I don't really know Elio, so I don't know the staff there, but in most restaurants, you know, the host is an hourly rate um, and they're young and experienced and they're given this huge responsibility. And I can imagine how if a celebrity walks in the door and just walk past them or something that they're, intimidated to stop and ask that celebrity anything if a manager's not there or they don't notify a manager that someone's walked in and and you know a celebrity's walked in and they haven't shown their vaccine or whatever it may be I could understand how that could happen um, I also think that we give a lot of people give celebrities way too much latitude in that way. Um, and, and that's bothersome to me too, because they have to hold to the same, they're, you know, an unvaccinated person, whether you're a celebrity or not in the restaurant is, is dangerous for, for everyone. And the reason we're doing this is to protect everybody. If you think about it, restaurants and bars are the only place you need to remove your mask. You can go shopping, you can go to the movie theater, you can go to a museum, you can go anywhere, do anything except eat or drink. You have to take off your mask. And so creating those safe environments so people can dine inside and enjoy great restaurants, I think is really important. So, you know, I'm, I kind of understand what happened and and can understand how that could happen and easily why it could happen. Um, just, you know, sort of, it's bothersome to me that 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 she gets away with it, right? Yeah, I, I agree. It's a whole room, home room full of people just trying to go out and have a good time. 
Yeah, I agree with everything you said completely. And the restaurant said uh, also that it does, it said it checks, regularly checks vaccines. They said they just missed her. She was apparently with a regular who dines there weekly. And so they knew who she was with was vaccinated. But um, I think, I mean, I think it's, it's hard. I think for, as you said, with hosts and, and restaurants with, with, you know, they're policing everyone or trying their best. And I've yeah. dined out quite a bit and everywhere I've gone, you know, they've, they've asked me for proof of vaccine and ID. And I think, I think restaurants are doing their best. And I agree. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad they're, you know, I, I mean, I think it's important to be checking and that it, this was, you know, they should have, they should have checked for her and she shouldn't yes. have gotten the Royal treatment as being a celebrity, but yes. Uh, I don't. I'm. I'm. Kind, I'm glad. I guess that that they're not like going after the restaurant and and charging them for this. Um, but I think it brought everything to everyone's attention, or you know, a lot, a lot of press on this. Yeah, a lot of press on it. I and I think I think if she hadn't tested positive the next day, I think that wouldn't have been quite so glaring in that way, right? But she tested positive, which meant that everybody who was in that restaurant when she dined there was then ex- exposed to her. Right. And that's and so serious. I think, yeah, yeah, that's serious. If she had tested negative and then gone to her trial, whatever, this wouldn't have been such an incredibly, it might've been, you know, mentioned, but I don't think it would have been as big. Yeah, true, true. It is. And, and it is, it, yes, it, it puts, it puts everyone else at risk and it's not fair. And no. Um, and it wasn't, uh, I saw, I saw some, I think even the person that tweeted this, I was looking back and they were, they said their mom thought it might've been Tina Fey, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I didn't yeah. see that. That's funny. I love that. Yeah. I once had a Tina Fey <laughs> sighting. I'll, I mean, just throw it out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was, and actually she was with John Hamm. It was a really good sighting. <laughs> That's a great sighting. I have, um, I worked, you know, for many years for Alec Hart, which owns Carmine's and Virgil's. And she used to come to Carmine's on the Upper West Side. She's, she was a regular up there. She's quite lovely. Yeah. Actually it was where I was, was the Upper West Side. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's her head. So, well, so there you go. Um, the news this week. So um, for my solo dining experience, uh, I went to, I was down in Miami. So it's at Carbone, Miami. So here's the rundown. The location, 49 Collins Avenue at First Street in South Beach, Florida. The concept is it's a Miami outpost of the major food group's retro glam Italian restaurant known for its elegant and inventive renditions of Italian American standards. The owners are... Chefs Mario Carbone and Rich Teresi and partner Jeff Zelaznik. So why did I go? Well, I was down in Miami visiting my family and warming up. And I'm a fan of Carbone and I was curious to check out their new place because, you know, it's my hometown. I want to see their their Miami rendition. So my experience, I was able to get an early reservation for one outdoors via Resi. I booked it early because they book up fast. Very popular place. Uh, I checked in. I was seated at a lovely round two-top in the front patio. It had nice dim lighting and music blaring, and uh, the the patio was had greenery around it, so you were kind of um, uh, separate from the sidewalk. 
uh, I was greeted by my server. He had asked me if I'd been to a Carbone before. I said yes. And so he said he'd limit his shtick. You know, they give you a shtick. So I got yes. a, a smaller shtick, which I'm glad I did, but I didn't need the whole rundown. Um, I ordered. I had a really lovely time. And it was a gorgeous night. And um, it was just a great vibe. So what did I get? So first started out, they bring you a complimentary bread basket with lots of antipasti. There was fresh mozzarella, uh, or actually fresh parmigiano, um, pickled veggies, and charcuterie. And then I ordered, I got the spicy rigatoni vodka pasta under their macaroni section. And I got one carbone meatball. There was a special that had three, but I asked for one. They said I could have one. Figured it would go well with my pasta. And at the end, I had coffee, and they brought complimentary rainbow cookies. So my take was fabulous. And I just, because I'd been to Carbone, and it's a very pricey restaurant, I ordered smart. I, I, I knew they bring you all these extras that fill you up, and they're delicious. So I, you know, it was it was a really... It was a really lovely, perfect meal. Um, I, the pasta is just delicious. It went perfect with the meatball and and all the the the, the you know the beginning um, antipasti was a great start. And at the end, with my coffee and the rainbow cookies, it was just it was really it was great. The ambiance is so inside. It's it's retro glam. I'd say it's like it's swanky. It's it's um, elegant, stylish. It's got burgundy banquettes and chandeliers, and they do tableside service where with their I believe their Caesar salad and their dessert cart. So it's a very interactive, fun experience. And outside outside was more mellow, but they had as I said the music uh, playing, and it's just it just had a good really good vibe. I'd say it's perfect for a serious date night. Interesting tidbit, Major Food Group has made a full move down to Miami. They also have ZZ's Club, which is a private membership, and they opened a Sedell's in Coconut Grove. And I also went on this trip, I went for lunch with my friend, Alfresco Lunch, and that was lovely. I, had a, I would recommend that. Personal fun fact, uh, I've also dined solo at Carbone in Las Vegas. This is a couple of years ago. Um, their location is at the Aria Hotel, and I remember I had a really fun, great experience, and I definitely s spent more money. There was a big upsell going on in Vegas. Uh, so the cost of this meal, I spent $46. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. Their website's majorfood.com, and Instagram is majorfoodgroup. So there you go. Beatrice, have you, have you been to Carbone, any Carbones? <laughs> I have not been to Carbone. I, I worked for so many years for Carmines. It's um, I know they're not the same, but they're but they're similar in the the family style and whatnot. I've never just uh, ventured to Carbone, but I will now after hearing your review. It sounds good. Ah, thanks. Yeah, Carmines is great. Carmines been around forever. <laughs> yeah, over thirty years. Yeah, yeah, that's like forever in restaurant that's, life. Right? It's totally forever in restaurant life. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so it's time for the final question. My next guest is Sean Hergott. He is a Manhattan-based, Michelin-starred Australian chef who is classically trained creative modernist. Sean is currently the chef at the Vestry at the Dominique Hotel in Soho, and he's formerly known for his restaurant show, Sean Hergott, which was in the Financial District, as well as Junie, which was in the Flatiron District. So, Beatrice, what would you like to ask Sean? 
I would like to ask Sean, what does he look for when he's hiring front of the house staff? What are the qualities that make that entice him to hire someone for the front of the house? I'm always curious of chef's perspective on, on that. What are the successful qualities that for front of the house staff? Ah, awesome. I want to ask you the same thing. <laughs> you want my answer now or after his? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe after. Uh, I will. I'll get it after. I'll see what he says first. How about that? Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> okay, so that's a great question, and that's the show. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, and congratulations on all of your success and everything all the wonderful services and everything you do for restaurants and beyond. It's very impressive. And um, yeah, I wish you the best. Thank you so much, Sherry. This was, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks so much for having me on. I look forward to, to getting together for cocktails and hot dogs. My pleasure. And I look forward to. So my guest today has been Beatrice Stein. She's the founder and CEO of Beatrice Stein Hospitality Consulting, and she's the founder and director of Hospitality Pathways. You can find out more about her companies at BeatriceSteinConsulting.com and HospitalityPathways.org. You can also follow her at Consulting, B-E-A, and at Hospitality Pathways. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin. Thanks again to Beatrice. And i also like to give a shout out to Carla Siegel of Agency. She's our mutual website fabulous gal. Fabulous gal. We love Carla. We love Carla. And um, yeah, um, so... Here's Thanks for the intro. <laughs> yeah, no, no, she's she's amazing. She is. So, um, and she's been on the show, if you want to go back to the archives. <laughs> I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bear. I'm going to be back next week with a new show. I hope you will tune in then, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.